Hello and welcome to Rock Paper Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. And my name is Stephen A. McKay. We're both best-selling historical fiction authors and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games. And do we also talk about rock music from time to time? guest today is Theodore Brunn. Is it Brunn, by the way, or Brunn? It's Brunn. <laughs> Brunn. Okay, so I'm going to start I again. Might, I, I both. I've been called both all the way through my life. I think it's Brunn. I'm going to start again. Our guest today is Theodore Brunn, author of the Wanderer Chronicles series of Viking Age novels. Theo is also co-host of the History Quill podcast. He has an exciting backstory, but rather than give it away in the introduction, I'll let Theo tell us all about it later. Um, the fourth novel in his um, The Wanderer Chronicles, A Savage Moon, is published in October. Welcome to Rock, Paper, Swords, Theo. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to both of you, Stephen and Matthew. Yeah, it's great to have you here, Theo. Thanks. Yes, it's great to have you. Great to see you again. Um, you know, full disclosure. Know, we've met, haven't we, Matthew? I've never met Stephen, although I've followed him for probably years by now. <laughs> and been yeah. seeing all his high achieving on online and yours too, of course. So um, I sort of feel like I uh, know you guys well in persona, if not in actual person. Yeah, well, we've um, we've met uh, at least once before. I think just once face to face, actually in in the flesh. That's um, right. You came in. Briefly, had a, we yeah. shared a beer. An, uh, an afternoon beer in central London, which was very enjoyable. Actually, it was right, yeah. slightly enjoyable. We can we can maybe... It, there, there was a takeaway where basically the bottom fell out of my world where you revealed what your next book was. I think it's a few books back for you now, but it was basically yeah. sort of the, forming the, the spine of the, the, the plot for this novel that's coming out finally in October. And I, so I walked away from there going, oh no, now what do I do? <laughs> Because yeah, there was a, there was a finish line first, but we, maybe we can get into the detail of that later. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can we can save that for later. But I do remember, yeah, it was all sort of it was all it's all smiles and laughter until suddenly <laughs> there was a moment and everything sort of changed. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, before we I get into it, it was just the horror that I anticipated, which uh, for for the for the rest of the drafting. But anyway, it it, it worked out well in the end. <laughs> it's happened to us all, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, things are in the ether and you get yeah. picked up at the same time, strangely. But before we get into the, the detail of that and that specific thing, um, tell us a bit about A Savage Moon, which is the, the new book that's just coming out, um, which is the latest in the series. And tell us about you know a bit about that and, and how you came to be writing The Wanderer Chronicles in the first place. Yeah, so A Savage Moon is the, the fourth in the series. And... Um, Essentially, the series is, is based in uh, the early 8th century. That's the time period we're dealing with. And this was kind of long before 
I had, um, you know, everyone seemed to have piled in on this thing. I thought I was operating in a very obscure part of, of the historical timeline and just sort of telling my little story. But it begins in, the series begins with um, a guy, I suppose you'd call it the Viking culture. They're not really Viking books in the sense of, uh, you know, ships and raiding, but it's Norse culture. And then the first two books uh, are kind of his adventures up there in, in Scandinavia. And then the third book, he ends up with a few other Norse characters in Constantinople um, for my first bit of history, actual history in the series, which was this great sea, Arab siege of Constantinople in 717 to 718. And it was quite a kind of dramatic, um, you know, uh, almost iconic a moment in early medieval history where the the Christian Byzantines were holding out against the this sort of new ascendant force of the um, Muslim what would they be Arabs at that point. So so my characters get caught up in this siege, and the end of the third book is pretty much the climax of that siege. So this fourth book is all about um, this the my central hero is a kind of crippled warrior in exile um, called Erlan Orvandil. Um, and he seems to acquire names as he goes along through the books. And his his kind of consort is this um, Swedish queen who's got a revenge um, kind of uh, vengeance on the mind. And she they, they find themselves at the beginning of the book stuck in Constantinople without a ship. They can't they're not sure where their crews got to. She's determined to re return back to um, Scandinavia and to the north in order to recover her kingdom from this bad guy who's, who's usurped her kingdom. And Erland's, I think, got a touch of PTSD. He's pretty shattered. He doesn't really want to go anywhere. So the first, the first bit of the book really is about how these guys in their kind of weakened state galvanize themselves, re rediscover their crew, it's sort of it's almost like a, a the first part of the book is almost like a heist because they need the, this gold with which they're going to buy armies and 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 sort of military support once they get back and then the, the the rest of the book is is their attempt to to be ready to go back to Scandinavia and they're gonna it, it, they sort of have plans of who they're going to approach in, in order to rally support to their cause but um fate intervenes, they get waylaid. And so then it becomes, uh, 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 they're sort of stranded in a foreign land. And that land is um, modern day France, or it's it's really the Rhinelands. And so I think it's an area that you've been um, delving into recently, Francia, I'm not even sure how you pronounce it, Francia, Francia. Um, and then we get some historical characters, a guy called Charles Martel, and it's kind of about how, he he ends up being a quite a significant character, I think, in early medieval history. He's almost like the grandfather of the grandfather of the Middle Ages, if you like. So you've got Charlemagne and who kind of conquered so much of, of that part of Europe and established essentially Christen, what we might call Christendom. But his grandfather was Charles Martel, but he came within what I would say is a sort of a, a fine thread of um being done away with right at the start of his career but and so my characters get caught up in his story and then there's a bit of a, a sort of um you know i suppose it's, it's something that's a little bit um idiosyncratic to my kind of writing as we go off on the woo-woo train <laughs> towards all the old norse su slightly supernatural 
slightly weird weird stuff in through through the end of the book and and there's a there's a kind of the, the characters get caught up in this this web of um this very sort of dark enemy that then they obviously have to overcome and there's various other threads to the story but essentially it's their journey back to the north that gets interrupted caught up in this adventure and then and then yeah and then hopefully next book will 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 be the the final climax to the whole series that's the intention anyway oh great that's interesting you said about um obviously you mentioned already the history of our um when we spoke and I sort of said about a night of flames it was and about the that I was basing some of the ideas of a night of flames on um a specific novella and Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness sort of taking inspiration from that and 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 you then went away and said oh my god I don't want to you know you that's basically what you were planning or something similar and um I I think I was I was going to feature the Rhine sort of because I was thinking okay I've got all this history and it's a little bit complicated and you know most of my stuff tends to be maybe a bit like ours as opposed to other historical authors you know a bit quite a lot of freedom to just make stuff make up the plot and the story and what's going on between these different sort of power 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 structures and what have you so this was but I really wanted to 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 bring this guy Charles Martel in um into the story somehow but looking at this quite little complicated choppy chop and changey bit of history at that period that linked in with the history of the fall uh, the the siege of Constantinople I was like how am I gonna I need to to find a way of of sort of bringing that into the story but it not being all the story it's still Erlan and Lilla's story and and I remember standing in a bookshop sort of flicking through historical um uh novels somewhere up in my I think it was my mother-in-law's town up in Beverly and just getting there's got to be a kind of like mystery there's got to be there's got to be something more sort of intriguing and like and I and then I, I my mind I suppose was going to that idea of this progression up this river and it got worse and worse and worse and then of course you immediately start thinking of Apocalypse Now and and um, I ended up actually not watching that but reading I think I'll tell you what I think was the actual route behind this as well was that there was a, a Brad Pitt movie came out um, called Ad Astra did you see that um, yes slightly, something but much later but yeah I think it was I've a slightly seen. weird movie but it was it was this he's effectively an astronaut kind of going off to recover his father who's like deep 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 in space and all the reviews were like this is a retelling of the apocalypse now and, and uh, heart of darkness and I thought oh yeah that my mind sort of hooked onto that probably in a similar way to yours yours did for your book um so when we met in London and you said oh I've kind of finished writing that book and I was like damn but so so I moved the 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 idea a little bit away from a river and and sort of went back deeper into some of the influences I think um, that originally got me into writing these series. It was part of your question at the beginning: was why, why the Wanderer Chronicles? And I think when I was a, I, I was a lawyer in my previous life, and, and years, years ago, like decades ago, I was at law school and um, studying for my law exams. And I got uh, a friend of mine. I was living with a friend whose brother was a great opera singer. And uh, in revising for all these law exams, um, this guy said, Why don't you, have you ever listened to um, 
the one uh, the Wagner uh, trilogy, um, not trilogy, is it? It's the Ring Cycle. That's the Ring Cycle, yeah. yeah. Ring Cycle. And I was like, mm, I don't know, not sure about that. And then I happened to be passing a, a, a music shop around that time, and it was like highlights of the Ring Cycle for two quid on an old CD. So then I spent weeks revising these exams, listening to this music, and it's 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 interesting because all I'm sure all the movies that you and I love all this sort of historical epic type stuff you realize that actually a lot of the soundtracks even um I feel have their kind of ancestry if you like in in these these Wagner operas they're like really sort of massive tunes that kind of undergird just thinking I'm just thinking Apocalypse Now and the Ride of the Valkyrie they've got that massively famous scene haven't they but all those um I mean you know part of your your podcast about music, isn't it? But all yeah. the, the um, uh, Game of Thrones sort of theme tunes and then the, ba- uh, the Band of Brothers. I mean, there's actual like chord sequences that I think sometimes I was listening to those things going, I've heard that before in like Darth Vader's March, you know what I mean? In Star Wars mm-hmm. and something like that. So anyway, all of that is to say that I got quite into the music and then I started looking into a lot of the source material behind it. And it and it kind of harked back to actually my archaeology degree, which was in this sort of Scandinavian archaeology. And all I'm sure you guys have read lots of Neil Price's books. Have you come across Neil Price? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, the, yeah. The sort Children of, of Ash and Elm. And yeah, that- that's brilliant, isn't it? That's a good book. Um, and it was, but it was, he wasn't actually on the, on the scene when I was studying it, but I wish, I, I wish he had been, I would have been probably more, more interested in it, but it, it was those sort of ideas, um, that kind of created a bit of a, um, seedbed, if you like, of appreciation for this world of the, the kind of, um, old pagan myths of, of Northern Europe and, uh, Scandinavia in particular, um, and and then it was in about 2009 that um, I, I attended this, and that, this actually has relevance for this book, A Savage Moon in particular. Um, I, I went to this lecture in Oxford about a great evangelist. So looking at the other end, from paganism to Christianity, great evangelists over history. And one of them was um, a guy called St. Boniface, who was actually an Englishman who was originally called Winfred and Winfred of Nursling, I think, so somewhere in Kent or around there. Um, And he is the one who ends up in this kind of, there's a story told about him chopping down the sacred oak of Thor in this deep, dark, Germanic forest. And obviously, and the guy was telling telling the story, and all I could see was I sort of, I, I didn't write fiction at this time. This was back in 2009. I didn't have any aspirations to be a writer at all. I was sort of taking a year out between in my legal career, not quite sure what I was doing. But in that moment, I suddenly saw this scene of of great conflict and like, you know, talk, fire torches and like this guy, surely they wouldn't just let him chop down their, their favorite tree. And and so it was it was quite um a pleasure, I suppose. It was quite a nice um conclusion, if you like, to to be able to bring his story into this particular novel as well so that's where you start to to feed back into the heart of darkness thing you've got this sort of great conflict between these christian adventurers i would call them but missionaries like in deep dark uh um sort of 
worlds that are, 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 where that idea is just completely alien to them and how and what happens at that point and and um so anyway that that was another thread that i kind of was trying to weave in so there was there was a few things going on i was trying to piece together which maybe why it gave me a bit of a headache this book but i think i got there in the end sounds sounds intriguing it sounds like you've got lots of stuff going on and um Perhaps you know the heart of darkness thing was good that that we didn't overlap, but you know in the end you did something a bit different. It sounds, sounds. I think I remember chatting to a couple of, um, or actually my old editor who moved on, um, and she was like, "Honestly, you shouldn't worry about it in the least because your idea of tell it, retelling that story will just be a completely different retelling to well, to absolutely. Matthew, I'm sure I'm sure that's probably the case." And and in fact, the you know the starting point is a completely different place anyway. So it's it's it would take quite a discerning mind to to, to probably pick up on the, the 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 common threads between the two. But yeah. I, I actually think I moved away a little bit away from that idea anyway. Um, we obviously think quite similarly, you and you and I anyway, because without you know conferring, we've come up with other things I think that are similar. You know, we ended up in in France as well. You know, in, in yeah. you know, this book and uh, and and again, I've got. The people in my book they're traveling somewhere else and they get waylaid in france because it's it's too they're traveling through france and they get stuck there because it's of the intrigues and they get you know it's a, it's a bit it's a different period of history it's a hundred probably a hundred and something years earlier um in forest of foes, forest of foes on. i mean that was another one i sort of read yeah. this on the back and my heart just slightly dropped a bit but, but I, already, I already handed in my book but, so but like, this is really interesting this is really interesting because it brings me back to thinking right back in the early 2000s when i'd started writing serpent sword mm. and my first novel in 2001 and i hadn't finished it i was taking ages writing it. you know the young family was working everything and um and, and I'd never written it before, so I didn't really know what I was doing. And it had taken me years. And I'd written about a quarter of what was the first draft. And The Last Kingdom came out. Bernard Cornwall's The Last Kingdom. And we've talked about this before in the podcast with other writers, when, when people have the same ideas at the same time or similar ideas. And the fact it was set in Bebenburg and it was a young warrior and it was a different time period, but, but similar, you know, superficially very similar. It stopped me writing for seven or eight years. I put it away and didn't didn't write for years. Anyway, I think so. We we talked a lot about the Savage Moon and the whole everything about the uh, the Wanderer Chronicles and the synergies of of writing uh, historical fiction. Oh, I was just finishing about that. Just the, the Bernard Cornwell thing. Uh, just um, how how it's interesting that basically I set it aside for years and didn't write them because I was convinced that well I can't write this book now because it's everyone's going to say i copied bernard Coleman. it was years later i decided actually you know what how many books about spies are they set in the second world war or how many books about <laughs> you know whatever it's ridiculous to think that one person writes a book book in a certain time period or place and you can't then write about it it's it's history they exist so you know you've got constantinople in your books or france or spain or britain or scandinavia of course, you know, everyone else is going to be writing the same books and, and or similar know, books, you know. From a marketing perspective, Matthew, that would have been the perfect time to put it out. <laughs> absolutely. Were, were huge. Yeah, Should absolutely. Have. Probably would have been perfect yeah. if I'd finished it then. And the re- Our readers, if I can call it a sort of collective, our readers, like like bouncing around between yeah. our books, it seems to. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm sort of lagging some distance behind you guys, but I know that 
And, and actually, it was interesting when I brought out the first of my books, um, I noticed that, on you know, it was the first time I was really paying attention to kind of the historical fiction market. And I noticed that there were at least three or four um, Roman books about, is it Varus and his legions that gets kind of destroyed in the, again, in a German, dark German forest, probably not. Yeah, we were just talking yeah. about that last week with the guest, actually. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot about the Teutoburg forest. Thinking, yeah, how does that work? If I mean, I read one one of them, and I was like, not 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 really buying this, but I'm sure others have done it just as you know well or better. Or, or but um, yeah, it's, it is funny. I think that we're like you know you're attracted to things that I don't know. You, that, there's just a hook in in certain areas of history, aren't there? Or certain characters. Yeah. Like Harold Hardrada seems to attract yeah. our, our mate Justin Hills done him really well but i know that there's another guy um what's he called jc duncan is it not sure what his first name is um he's doing he's bringing one out on on harold hydrada and i know mm -hmm. so I, I had a friend who didn't actually get anywhere in terms of you know he didn't really push through and and, and write his book but he was trying to do a big book on harold hydrada so i don't know i think it's fair game as you said it just feels a bit disconcerting doesn't it and you, you, it puts you off your stride a little bit but then you've got to find it again yeah. It is, and it's just a weird – it's one of those things that happens, I think, whenever you're working on anything, because the book that I'm working on at the moment, I was watching loads of different films and things about it. It's the 19th century, totally different. And straight away, I sit down to watch something that's current on TV, you know, current new production about sort of early 20th century, late 19th century America, and straight away the similarities – even though I'd already written, you know, mine I was already halfway through writing, I was like, oh, God, you know, people are going to think I've copied that now, but – it's, it's history. These are things that happen, you know, different conflicts and different things and different types of people and different, you know, whatever, places and stuff. So, yeah, like you say, stories that, that resonate will resonate with different writers differently. So you bring out the you know stories differently, but um, they'll resonate with readers as well. So readers, as you say, will want to read more than one book about Constantinople or the Romans or the Vikings, as is, can be seen, or Harold Hadrada or, you know, Alfred the Great or whatever. Robin Hood, yeah. Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood's been done a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of an understatement. <laughs> um, but that's the interesting thing about being a storyteller, isn't it? Because it's not, it's, you're a storyteller first, aren't you, rather than a hist historian. And I sometimes feel like a bit of a magpie. In a way, it's it, it's a little bit similar to when I was a lawyer. The kind of lawyer, law I was doing was um, international arbitration law, which was essentially case law. And it meant that you had to be, it, it, it was all about reading into like the details of like a particular industry or a particular technology or whatever, and like becoming really expert on that just for the purposes of that case. And then you drop that, like you'd be doing, satellites one minute and then you're doing gas prices over here another and it and i feel a bit like that especially when we change when we jump around the timeline a bit um i kind of i, I feel a bit like a magpie it's like i take what i need and what seems shiny and interesting to me but i don't profess to be the world expert on yeah. Carolingian history yeah. or, or even viking technology or anything like that it's it's i'm trying to tell uh a, 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 I mean, suppose epic adventure stories and and make them a bit psychologically interesting. It's psychologically interesting enough that I want to read them rather than um, 
and I think that, that could be a bit of a, a, a pair of stools that I fall between sometimes because I know I know some of the response from my uh, readers can be like, oh no, just get pages and pages of introspection, <laughs> and I just want like the next battle scene, and I yeah, so <laughs> there's definitely a happy medium somewhere in there, but yeah. My, one of my favourite reviews for my second book was um, someone called it Tears and Spears. And it says <laughs> there was just too much introspection and you know, moaning. Yeah, I, I think... actually said that about it as well, Matthew. Sorry. But do you find that when you're writing your books, are you, are you bringing, obviously we bring ourselves into it, but have you, we've all been writing for a few years now, like have you, has... Has, has the focus in some of your books been different as think different things have been going on in your life? Yeah, I think like the lockdown uh, certainly played a part in one of my books because the characters got kind of put in jail for a while. You know, I never planned it to be like that, but it was those kind of feelings that we were all experiencing at that time definitely played a part in that book. So yeah, I think things that are happening in your life or that have happened to you definitely came out in your, your characters, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I, I can't think of specifics. I mean, I can think of more specific things like like Stephen was saying with the political climate, you know, certain things like Brexit and things like that that, that have affected the world. I'll I'll end up they'll be brought in and I'll note I've noticed, you know, I'll, there'll be certain comments that I'll make through characters in books about politics or about politicians and I think this is really quite a an obvious pointed comment about somebody in the current political yeah. climate. But transferred into an eighth century politician or king or whatever you know so it's hard not to do that I, I know I'm actually um foolishly stuck my hand up to be a judge on the historical writers association gold crown award I don't know if you've you, you probably had entries in that at, at times but you read a, an awful lot of historical fiction and uh, you know across the full gamut and the whole timeline and everything you don't you, that sort of thing you do does tend to jump out when you're like reading about something in 18th century France and you're like this is an obvious comment on yeah. immigration in 21st century Britain but anyway we'll keep going I think you, you you have to be careful about that when it's too obvious doesn't it but at the same time it's got to be completely natural as well hasn't it yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, why do you think there's this current huge interest in Vikings with books, movies, video games all doing well just now? Why are we fascinated with this particular group of people? I think I think their popularity goes in cycles, doesn't it? I mean, you look at some of the sort of inspiration of... Um, of our, if you like, in our line of ancestry in terms of storytelling in this, and it kind of goes back to Tolkien, well, George Martin, I guess Bernard Cornwall, back to, um, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis was quite interested in the Norse stuff, Tolkien and Wagner, and there's all sort of late 19th century stuff. So I think it is, and, and each generation, maybe not on a generational basis, but, but there's something about them that, that A, is incredibly um you it's very sticky for the imagination and it's you, you know yeah there's the, all the, the the kind of excitement of um uh you know the raids and 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 the, the warrior ethic as it were but also there's a there's a weirdness that i think neil price often talks about 
um, very well that, that it's just like you're trying to make sense of this that in a way there's you think you know them so well and yet you, and yet the more you know the less obvious they seem to you and why why this culture i mean i do think um if you get good storytellers roving into that area and then and then that in in itself generates popularity and other people kind of mm-hmm. move into that space so i think george martin did a big job in terms of turning people's heads back to, I suppose you call it general medieval history. Um, And, you know, there's a, there is, there is an element of a, what's the word? It's a bit of a moral free for all as well. And I think that's, that chimes for our, with our generation. You know, I think that we have turned a bit away from, from our sort of Christian heritage, if you like, um into an appreciation a sensitivity to nature you know effectively we the, the world has become a little bit more pagan in the last 50 years i would say yeah. in, 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 in a spiritual sense without people necessarily putting that label on themselves and so the vikings in that kind of in between space if not a bridge back into a world where that seemed much more much more obvious and like you were much more connected with nature maybe that's some sort of explanation for why it, it resonates with people i don't know what yeah, do you that's interesting i think i think that i think you made really lots of great points but that sort of um the the fact that this sort of amoral i think they're often seen as a very sort of amoral people or you know they, they they don't seem to really care about the, the the damage or pain they cause although i don't know what how true that is i mean i think that's something that in sort of maybe in, the, in our modern representation but i think that allows it, it it's something that allows very um fertile storytelling and that you can tell you can have great heroics but also great terrible deeds all done by people who fit into that society very easily um at least the society the way it's sort of perceived in in modern um pop culture i guess I'm not convinced that they were quite as sort of manic as they're as they're portrayed, you know, sort of going around like in the Norseman. Have you seen the film The Northman? Yes. Uh, yeah. the... I think you've talked about it before. I saw it it I think again, I don't want to sort of bang his drama too much. Neil Price was like a He was involved a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. He was... on that. You could sort of see his touches of of trying to be authentic, but I think at the end of the day it wasn't a very good story. And he wasn't yeah. a very wasn't a very good uh central character i just yeah. didn't i didn't like him i wasn't particularly interested in him i thought he was almost less than one dimensional so uh, it felt like a bit of a wasted opportunity for me because i was all ready to love it obviously you know i we, think it looks great yeah. but it just didn't didn't hit the spot in terms of but i think part of that for me is that sort of like you said superficiality but also that just i don't know that the sort of the, the barbarism taking to an extreme that doesn't really seem to gel as a society didn't seem to fit it didn't i don't believe that society could hold together if they were all going around just killing indiscriminately uh it, it, there was just i don't know there were loads about it that i just found quite annoying but yeah and i think it's it's, it's also a delusion isn't it to think that there is there are no moral you know you can't escape some sort of morality you know you just can't escape it and and if it doesn't mean that um you know you 
that what we think is right and wrong is will overlap with what they did. They they will have things that were absolute taboo that yeah. we would we just wouldn't get why in any sense, but it would be a very sort of finely um what's the word guarded or you know sort of monitored line between right and wrong as far as they're concerned. It's just you know I don't know. They they they, they and at the end of the day they were they were great adventurers as well. You know they had balls. <laughs> Yeah, you can yeah. Do that. It's that's like, true. They were like, "I'm going to go and do something," you know, and yeah. we're going to get out there and we're going to see see the world. We're going to see what's out there and 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 learn to survive and get get the most out of it. And I think that at the at bottom, they actually did stuff, and 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 it's that's has its fascination as well. Right. I want to ask a question now, which is going to hopefully get you to tell that interesting backstory that I mentioned in the in, in your introduction, um, because I think it's if people haven't heard you talking before or read about you, it's, it's definitely worth revisiting. Um, so in in the books um, that you write, I mean, this is your fourth, isn't it, in the, in the series, but um, the people you talked about, the people travel a lot, they go to all these different locations and locales. Um, I guess Part of the question is: Do you actually, or do you make an effort to travel to those places like Constantinople or now um, Istanbul and, and places like that, and visit them to see them for yourself? But also, how your own travels um, across the world play into that? And if you'd sort of talk a little bit about your trip, your amazing um, trip from Asia all the way back to to London on a bike, I believe. Yeah. So I suppose following on from that lecture in 2009 I I was at a bit of a loss and I ended up taking uh, after I kind of finished that academic degree and I ended up going but I'd left the law once basically I was not made for the law <laughs> and I, I I tried to leave it three times I think this was the second time of leaving it so I ended up going back into the law taking a job in Hong Kong and pretty quickly decided uh this was just a very mediocre um place that I ended up and um, my brother was actually out there with his family in, in Hong Kong. But um, I, was, I was essentially in an unhappy place. I'd just broken up. With, I'd, I'd been engaged. That had all ended badly. I'd sort of gone to the other side of the world, literally, to get away from my problems. And, of course, your problems just come with you in your head, um, which also is good grist for the meal. For a, that's a, the, that's a, the subject of my latest novel. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's not a troubled, uh, troubled protagonist. Uh, thing um so i had uh, i think three ideas and after that lecture i'd looked in a bit more into st boniface's life and then started it kind of reawakened stuff that i knew and remembered from interest in wagner and all those scandinavian mythological sources and my archaeological background so i'd already started this story not being a storyteller this story had started to take some shape and uh, grow in some sense in my head and imagination whilst I was doing this very boring job in in Hong Kong and, and feeling very unfulfilled and sort of slightly out on a limb. And um, so I, I kind of came to this conclusion, I was going to leave this job. And uh, in fact, it was provoked by a conversation with a, with a counsellor of some kind. Um, but it was only like a one-off meeting. And uh, I, I sort of said to her, I've got these, I, I kind of got this book that I don't, I'm not a writer, but I've got this idea brewing and I think maybe I need to go back to England and become a teacher and, or do, do some teaching and maybe try and write this book alongside it. 
had some aspirations or thoughts possibly about becoming a priest, but that that didn't let go very far. And then I was like, but I had this other, this this daydream about just putting on a pair of boots and just walking off into China. And she, to her credit, was like, oh, that's interesting. What's stopping you? <laughs> so, uh, oh. And <laughs> so I and actually, it was the first time I walked away from that meeting. I had the first little sort of kernel of joy in my heart, of like something to, to hold on to. And I was really kind of in need of just a basic goal at that point. I was 33, sort of my the life that I thought I was on, I'd sort of self-sabotaged, really. Um, so, so I was thinking, rather than write this story, what about if I just enter into a story? And I, I, I looked, I started researching a bit more, like, can you walk back from Hong Kong back to England? Do people do that thing? Um, and quite quickly realized that, that it wouldn't take the, the year and a half that I thought it was going to take on the back of my fag packet calculation. It was, it was more like five years. And then I happened to meet a guy who'd come the other way on a bicycle from England to Hong Kong, and he'd said it's taken about a year. And I thought, OK, right, that that sounds reason a bit more reasonable anyway. So um, that's what I did. A few months later, sort of made some preparations, got on a bicycle in October 2010 uh, from Hong Kong and had about 10 lessons in Mandarin before I kind of got on the, the hydrofoil across uh, to Zhuhai, which is sort of across the Pearl River Delta and, and started pedaling. And um, about a year and nine days i think it was it took me to get back to to my parents home in norfolk which is where i am actually right now um and yeah it was an incredible revitalization i mean i i really in terms of motive for character if i kind of i can look back at that man in, in his 33 year old man whatever it was 12 years ago and go i'm literally feeling death and like I was dying young as it were but by the end of it I just felt so alive and so you get this nice kind of transit you know that's what you want to see in a story isn't it it's like the character goes from pole to pole as it were and and I didn't realize before you know looking back I can see that actually everything that was going on there was sort of playing to my strengths in terms of what I needed to go through so the physical challenge the sort of cultural challenge, like the intellectual challenge of trying to learn some the languages along the way, just engaging, sort of being on my own for quite a long period of time, but at the same time engaging with people. I'm one of these weird mixes between an extrovert and an introvert. And, and so I kind of can do loads of time on my own, but I, I also love it engaging with people as well. Um, so it was, and then of course, you, it's the lived experience that then can translate into these books to come back to you, the answering your question. Like, I know what it's like to be totally the odd man out in a culture, um, let's say in in the west of China, in in Urumqi or something. It's all basically Uyghur culture or Kyrgyzstan. I mean, it's it's such a joy traveling. I have to say, and on a bicycle, it's one of those weird things that everyone knows how to ride a bike. And you probably know what it's like to ride to the next door village or even further. I mean, your our friend Ben Kane does does massive long trips, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, to us. Highly recommend anyone has an opportunity to go for a weekend, a week, a month, whatever it is. It is such a joy to travel in that way. And people are so welcoming, I would say. Like it, it's incredibly restorative in terms of all the division and all the crap that we hear 
in media and social media and the, the you know all the vileness that that we have to imbibe this will restore your faith in in humanity i promise and and, and i don't know you should try you should try riding a bike up here in scotland theo <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you might remember the vileness. <laughs> Not for the faint-hearted up there, I'm sure. <laughs> People get knocked off all the time. Yeah, no, I, there are tragedies in that sense as well. Yeah, I've, I've had a friend of mine got got lost his life on the A30. I think it was down in Cornwall. Um, actually, he was doing he was doing Lands End to John O'Groats. Um, and off. There is, yeah, I mean. It, it's but it's like it's adventure, isn't it? You don't know exactly what's going to happen, and that is that is the essence of the stories that we tell. But hopefully, the lives that you want to live as well is you know that's what I think stories are great at. It's like trying to encourage people and to show show what it's like to not know how what's coming, but to take that risk anyway and to yeah. step out. And how do you deal with? The conflicts that and obstacles that rise up in front of you and and you know it, hopefully we can you know it is why it is why story we keep coming back to stories whether it's on tv whether it's whether it's in book form or whatever um and so i i do think in terms of the con the massive transition from being a lawyer to what i'm doing now of course like you know it's 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 down about eight floors in terms of salary and 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 uh you know job security but but in terms of fulfillment and satisfaction and what what I get out of the process as well as actually giving other people like you can't put a price on that I've got a I've got a fridge magnet that my sister gave me at Christmas which just says creative writing because job security is for pussies <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. that's why exactly I just uh, you you guys are in in the same or you've been through that process as well I know Stephen, do you still still do your job as well as as do your no, writing? No, no, I just get fed up with it. So I thought now's the time to just try and move on. So yeah, I gave it up. Yeah. But you guys are so brilliant at the the marketing side and the business side. I I that's my observation anyway. <laughs> I think it's getting harder now, though. Definitely, it was easier when we started mm. like ten or eleven years ago to market, but now it's. A lot of these places, like Facebook adverts, for example, you know, they're, they're much harder to kind of work, to figure out how to get good results with. Amazon ads, it's all the same. It's It was easier back then. There was less competition. Nobody knew how to do it. And now there's all these books telling you how to do it. So it's it's definitely getting harder. So I'm glad we did it when we did. But um, just the next question I've got here for you, it kind of plays into what you were just talking about with your, your cycling all that distance and how inspirational it can be, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so we know you have Viking ancestry. Do you think that plays a part in your writing? And I don't just mean in terms of you choosing to write about Vikings. I mean, on a deeper level. So like, do you think we as people are influenced by or can tap into our ancestry some way? Uh, yeah. I think I do. I don't know if you mean is there sort of Vikingness sort of fizzing around in my blood. Um, yeah, I, yeah, Viking blood that you can yeah. somehow tap into. The you know, like birds have kind of racial it's memory. I do because I the thing is, my family, it's is it, is is very. Um, it's my father that's Danish, but he was raised 
in England as basically as an English boy. He was born in 1939. So my grandfather was the one that came over. So we, we've always felt, I mean, I sound and, and am to all intents and purposes English, um, but my father very much felt like an outsider in this part of the world. It's like a farming farming people in Norfolk. It's very agricultural here. My grandfather spoke with a very thick Danish accent. We were always reminded of like pictures on the wall of ancestors. I mean, there is an element of ancestor worship, but it's more like recent ancestor worship. And I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous to say it out loud in a way, but there's uh, over on my in my dad's house, he's got, I think, eight portraits going back to like the beginning of the 19th century of one father succeeding the other. And, you know, I know quite a lot of the stories connected with each one of them. Um, and we know that our family went back to something like the siege of Magdeburg in the 30 years war. You can trace it back to, to Germany. So I, in my, um, yeah, I, I, I think in my, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not spiritual, it's more like soulful moments you do think there's got to be some um, impact. There's got to be some substance to the fact that you're coming through all the, the experience of all these lines, not in the form of reincarnation. I don't believe in that, but like there's a sort of, in, there's a sort of um, succession of experience that I think comes down to a person. And I think you can choose to sort of push into it or it can have nothing to do with your life whatsoever. And I, I'm, I don't really know why, but I've just got a mind that that, 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 that sort of pushes towards adventure. And that's, I mean, in some senses, I'm an absolute coward. And in other things, I just see no risk whatsoever, like sort of socially or like trying to, trying to kind of work angles in politics or like to my advice, I'm absolute crap at. But if you say, oh, why don't you just cycle across Europe? I'd be like, all right, when are we leaving? <laughs> you know what I mean? I wouldn't. <laughs> It's a weird mixture, and I think it becomes very particular to an individual. So, strangely, my grandfather, who was always banging on about Denmark, um, I mean, that was where his heart lay. He, he was not interested in Vikings in the least. So it could be, you know, what we're seeing is this kind of research and resurgence, like you said, of um, interest in Vikings in general. Um, but I do think that I do think it boils down to that sense of adventure and that kind of can-do attitude there's a there's a they're real um what's the word um resourceful as a, as a people yeah. and i think that has that has an attraction that's certainly something that my dad is like he if there's a problem a, 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 a manual problem he finds he's like heath robinson you know he'll find a way to fix it I and mean, that may be to do with being a farmer as well but <laughs> so we talked lots about vikings yeah. And obviously your background and your your novels. And um, you said there's going to be five books in the Wanderer Chronicles. Um, are you actually writing the fifth one at the moment? Are you already writing? Oh, I, I mean, it, I think a slightly tricky spot in that, um, you know, unlike well, you're I know you've you're with a, a full on publisher, aren't you, um, Matthew? But hang on, you you are as well now, Stephen. Is that right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But been, so I, I've always been with Atlantic Books, and and over the years, I think the editors have changed a few times just because it's been time for them to move on. 
And so <laughs> when I was, because I've taken so long to write this bloody fourth book, that um, at the start of it, it was like, yeah, yeah, we'll take anything that you produce in the series. You can write a 10 book series and we'll be happy. The, the position with my publishers changed a little bit. Um, and so they're not, they're not, even whilst I was handing in this book, I was like, right, in a sense, I need to sort of prompt them into like, what's the next thing here? Um, so it's not uh, a lot of, they, they've suggested to me, like, I want, can I pitch something else? Which leaves me in a tricky situation because I mean I've got lots of other other ideas as as no doubt we all do, um, but I want to I also want to finish this. But it doesn't have to be the next the very next book or like immediate. But I want to know that mm. I can land this story, you know, to so, come back, yeah to come yes. back to um, you know the Wagner inspiration like the Ring cycle is the a cycle. cycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, always, I've always seen this as a five book cycle. And being told I was writing um, these fourth book that yes, you will take your fifth book. And so I was like, okay, well, right, a fifth, and then I've got another idea for a next series. But I, I, I'm, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but I, I do know that the story is all just kind of going pieces of. Well, flying. I mean, you're in a, you're in a situation with the current technology and the way the world is that the worst case scenario, I mean, or best, I don't know, is that you can self-publish it, right? So you can independently publish or you could go to a, another publisher if, if your current publisher doesn't want it. I mean, you, I'm sure you could find someone to, some yeah, way exactly. to publish yeah, the, the fifth book. Out, yeah. yeah, there's and, questions about, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I know I, Harry, I, Harry Sidebottom had, had um, several ballista Roman books about a character called Ballista with one publisher, and he moved to another publisher. And they just apparently, I mean, I've not read all of his series, I read like a couple of his earlier books. Um, but I think they're still Ballista books, they've just repackaged them and just sort of not called them the same series, whatever. But they've they're still basically the same series, he's just with another publisher. Yeah. And I know other people have done that as well, sort of move publisher, yeah, just carry just, on writing the series. It's one new character and say it's all about her. <laughs> no, I think I just I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think it's a problem. I mean, really, I think people follow the writer, don't they? Now, so it's yeah. I think if you've got a following, they'll follow you and the, and the series. But I, but you've sort of led me on. You said you've got another idea for another series as well. Uh, I was just going to ask, have you got ideas for writing in other time periods? I've been, the next book, I I mean, I, I, you know, Matthew, because we've spoken before. I do ghost writing at the same time, so um, because. I've kind of been tied into doing this series and I've made quite a meal of each book. Like they're quite lengthy books, aren't they? Um, I've had to create a sideline in doing ghostwriting. And so every time I get a win on that, I kind of go, oh, great. I've bought myself some time to kind of make some progress on something else. So I think I'm in a position now where I can start work on this other book that I've been thinking about for a few months, which is completely different. It's sort of inspired by a, a growing love, I think you call it, for historical mystery and murder mystery. And um, during lockdown, you know, Stephen was talking about lockdown before we survived lockdown, at least the first one, by just watching every single Ag Agatha Christie horror that there was. And so there's been an element of that, like, you know, piecing together puzzles. Um, and so I've got a character who's roving around in like the early 19th century. And he's a, he's a historical character. He's actually a, a, a Jewish missionary called Joseph Wolf, who's left umpteen number of um, journals. And I'm not going to stick too closely at all to what he actually did. It's more like using him as my Poirot, if you like. Um, yeah. Because he ended up in so many different places, some of which 
quite a lot of which ended up were in the places that I visited on my bike ride. So it's like there's a connection there that I can make use of. And also something I haven't mentioned, I did a, a, a master's at university that was much more, it was like, it was basically the great game. So Russia, British imperial rivalry in Central Asia, and he's sort of roving around in that. So I know something about that as well. Um, and and then it's drawing on my, I, I, you probably, I, I have a, what's the word? A weakness for the conspiracy theory. So in the sense that I try to sort of stay, keep at arm's length, but endlessly in, interested by various different things. So in this book, it would be based in Egypt. So it's sort of, it, and it's around, um, there was a lot of rivalry immediately after the Napoleonic Wars between the French consul and their kind of minions out there and the British consul, all about acquiring all these antiquities. And there was great um, animosity between these two sides, but also various other things going on. So, and, and you've got the mystery of the pyramids and Freemasons and goodness knows what. So I, I feel like there's some grist for a murder mystery of some kind. And then if that works, the joy is that he is a character, you know, there's already like three or four other quite different exotic locations I could place him in where like he's got to solve the mystery. Da, da, da. So that yeah, sounds great. We'll see. Sounds, we'll see. I, I, the sort of thing that's in the cowboy in the in the, the wild west, you know, it's like my a secondary um stream. Yeah, it sounds but it sounds like the sort of thing that could really work and could really have legs because that sort of crime mystery yeah. stuff works yeah, in any genre. Yeah. And and if you and if you set it up so that you can see him jumping around different places, I think that would that would could really work as a as yeah, a series. Could be great. Forever. Yeah. You guys know what must know what it's like. You 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 have you think, uh, is that is that gonna do anything? And then you happen to read something that like goes it grab you know, it's like there's a there's a yeah. fuse, isn't there? And then suddenly you see a scene and you go, oh my gosh, that's that's literally the end scene of the novel. And, I, and then you and then you start thinking, well, this is going to happen. It's just about filling in the filling in the gaps and finding the time. But go for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely go for it. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so we're coming to the end of our allotted time, um, and I will ask the question that I always ask. So at the end, there's a couple of questions we always ask, um, yeah. and the first of which is. What have you been reading and watching recently? Well, I've been reading a lot because, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm on this judging panel. Um, there was a fantastic book uh, that I just came across called The Colour Storm by a guy called Damien Dibbon. And it's um, it's about artists in sort of early Renaissance artists uh, in Venice. And it's kind of a bit of a mystery. But that's been a fantastic book. Um, I've been reading Angus Donald's book, The Loki Sword, which has um, yeah. caused me a lot of joy. And let me think of one other really good one that I've read. Um, oh, what was it? Yeah, the, oh, the the Clockwork Girl by Anna Mazzola is another good one. All right, yeah, it's a one well, good one for a sort of murder mystery. When I'm with thinking about murder mysteries, so those are three books that I definitely recommend. I just have to add. I just have to add. I'm reading a book called A Savage Storm. No, A Savage Moon at the moment <laughs> um, by by someone called Theodore <laughs> Brun, and um, they've just reached the Pillars of Hercules, and it's all it's all exciting stuff. So, really enjoy. Good it. stuff, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It goes off the rails from that point on. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. 
I'll I'll make sure I've got some some drugs ready. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, what was the other question? What am I? So what have you been watching, watching as well? Well, I was I listened to your podcast on Peter Gibbons with Peter Gibbons, and you were talking about 1883, and I was like, oh, that sounds good. So I started watching 1883, and I got quite far with it, but I felt it was a, it just started to sort of drift away from me a bit, and then I was drawn into Yellowstone. Um, so I'd been watching Yellowstone and the first series I kind of went through, the second series, I thought, okay, no, this is actually really gripping me. I'm 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 into binge watching, which I haven't done for for quite a while. So I know it's not technically his, historical, but um it's uh it's hitting the right spots. I'm I'm watching it too. Um Yellowstone, that How is. I've watched, I'm in season three, I think, now. Yeah, that's where I've just got to yeah, episode two, season three. Oh, so probably about the same, almost same place, pretty much. Second, at the end of the second series, I was like, okay, you've got my attention. It's yeah, good. it was. It's. It's. It. I did say to my wife though. I said, bloody hell, I'm worried that my book set in 1890, um, the one I've just just finished, and I and I worry that um, people are going to think that it's too wild for the end of the sort of wild west for uh, this is like set in modern day and they go around killing everybody left right and center willy-nilly <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no law at all if you, if you believe yellowstone so like 130 years later yeah there is there is a plausible implausibility that starts to creep in a bit but actually it's interesting watching it with my wife natasha who's a who's an actress and she it's very clear to me, like the, there's some really excellent actors in Yellowstone mm -hmm. on there. Yeah, yeah. And she's always saying her mum is absolutely in love with Kevin Costner. Um, <laughs> but she thinks Kevin Costner can't actually act, which I think is a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> she says, she says, if you watch, you watch everyone around him is really, really good, which makes him look much better. Um, and I was I was paying attention to that, and then, then he had a scene with the little kid, and it was like, mm, I was like, yeah, it's not. Has she has she seen has she seen the stuff that he directed that made him famous? You know, the, going back to the you know, Dances of Wolves, and I think she's seen, because, yeah, she's seen plenty of that stuff. Um, he's he's absolutely know. incredible in Dances of Wolves. I mean, I think as a director, he's incredible. And yeah, I love if you that just, here's my here's my tip for westerns starring and directed by Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall. Um, open range. If you haven't seen that, watch that. He may not be the best actor, but he directed it and it's fantastic. And Robert Duval is such value for money that um it's a it's a fantastic one. My favorite Western made in the last 20 years. Let's say. Favorite Western is is it Once Upon a Time? Not Once Upon a Time. What's the Sierra Once Upon a Time in the West? Yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah. Charles Bronson and Henry Fonda. No, it's one um, once upon a time, the West's got Henry Fonda. Oh, Peter, Peter Fonda, Henry Fonda. Who's it got? No, it's got Henry Fonda in it. Yeah, and yeah, Claudia Cardinale, and the, the opening scene. It takes about ten minutes, and there's like yes, that is that is the one. Yes, once upon a yeah, time in the West. Yeah, I think I used to. I watched that when I was an eighteen-year-old. I was like, come on, this is so slow. <laughs> and now, as a sort of forty-five-year-old, you you watch it and you're like, I appreciate this. Oh, I don't know, something very very uh, deliberate about the way that film's made, which I really appreciate. Last double-barreled question for you. What have you been listening to recently? And do you listen to music when you're writing? Um, I do listen to music when I, I'm writing, uh, but not all the time. I think I used to do it a lot more than, than I did, and it's usually soundtracks. I think that, I feel like that's something that a lot of writers 
have authors having yeah. comment because yeah, like, this is up. yeah war war soundtrack i mean it sounds so boringly male doesn't it but um war, <laughs> old war movies i think there's an element of nostalgia creeps in there like you know the war movies that you used to watch when you were in the 80s back and and, and those things and obviously you can find all these things on on youtube so but more interesting i would say particularly for the first couple of books i wrote in this you know slightly weird world of pre-viking i would say scandinavia you can find um some fantastic what do you call them revisionists old norse music viking music there's a guy called einar Selv and uh some other bands as well which it's you know to have it i mean i when i write some when i'm really into it you get make it a totally sort of immersive experience where literally all the lights are off i practically have a, a blanket over my head and i'm like hidden in this hole and if i've got this music playing and candles burning and what have you like it, your imagination just feeds off that so to answer you and 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 occasionally through the routines of life i'm like not listening to you so not doing that just got to get some words down um but i think if i was going to serve my writing properly then i would i would be doing all of that um and then to answer your question well we've just been on a, a driving holiday in france and my wife and i both love the talking heads uh or talking heads i should say um so a bit of david byrne flapping his arms around we've we, we've had quite a few of uh what is it psycho killer and uh the road to nowhere and all of that <laughs> right so that's what we've been yeah, listening to stuff, and you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack <laughs> and that sounds like the theme tune for um, writers, actually, probably. <laughs> you may find yourself living <laughs> in a shack. But uh, that's probably a good place to end. Thanks ever so much, yeah. Theo, for for your time and for yeah, all thank of the... you. That was very interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. No, it was great fun being with you guys. And I think you, you, got, you get some great guests on, and it's lovely to hear you knock about the writer's life with them. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to um, finishing your current book, A Savage Moon, and um, good luck with all of your future writing. Yeah, good luck you guys as well. I admire from afar, so I'll, I'll be cheering <laughs> you on your next books. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much, Theo. Cheers. Okay. That's it for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please take a moment to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on and don't forget to subscribe. Let us know if you have any questions or things you would like us to cover in future episodes. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash rock, paper, swords podcast and the fabulous X at rock underscore swords. You can find out more about our books on matthewharfey.com and stephenamckay.com. The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by us. Until next time, a rock, paper, sword. It's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen A. McKay. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind. Stay safe. And happy reading. <laughs>